choosing your uh, version of the Bible that you'd like to follow along with. If you want it to be the same one that I'm using, uh, use the Common English Bible, the CEB. As he was teaching, he said, watch out for the legal experts. They like to walk around in long robes. They want to be greeted with honor in the markets. They long for places of honor in the synagogues and at banquets. They are the ones who cheat widows out of their homes and to show off. They say long prayers. They will be judged most harshly. Jesus sat across from the collection box for the temple treasury and observed how the crowd gave their money. Many rich people were throwing in lots of money. One poor widow came forward and put in two small copper coins worth one penny. And Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I assure you that this poor widow has put in more than everyone who's been putting money into the treasury. All of them are giving out of their spare change, but she, from her hopeless poverty, has given everything she had, even what she needed to live on. May God give us wisdom and courage for interpretation, and may God give us wisdom and courage as we try to apply the truth of Scripture to our lives. Amen. So you know the sermon I'm about to preach. You've heard it a bunch, but that's not the one I'm going to preach. Has anybody ever seen a monkey trap? If you've got your worship bulletin, there should be an image of it on the front of it. A monkey trap, um, I'd always heard about these things. I didn't know whether they were real or not, so I looked it up this week. It is a real thing. I wouldn't go watch YouTube videos about it. It's kind of strange, and I I don't know, it just felt weird watching, but basically to trap a certain type of monkey they'll take a a a clay pot of some sort and they'll put a chain to it or a cage of some sort and they'll tie a chain to it and then they'll tie that they'll anchor that chain to a tree or something and inside the the pot or the cage there will be a piece of fruit or some rice or something that the monkey wants and the hole to 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 get to it is just small enough that if the monkey like closes up its hand and squeezes its hand through it can then grab on to whatever it is, and then it'll make a fist, and it can't get out. It's, it's trapped itself. And really, all it has to do is let go of the thing, and then it can pull its hand right out and get away. I think sometimes with a text like this one from Mark, we focus so much on the poor widow and the money that she's giving and the sermons that we've heard for our entire lives that we're trapped, and we, got, we have to let go to be able to get our hand out. There are basically two ways that people look at this text. The first is this one. Jesus is in the temple and he's sitting by the box where people would go and they would put money into the box to give to the temple treasury, of which that money would be divided up and given away in various forms and fashions. Jesus is watching people give their money and he notices that there are rich people coming up and they're putting a lot of money in. And there are poor people coming up and they're putting money in. And then he notices this one poor widow woman who walks up and she places two coins into the box. And if you imagine in the silence, you can hear those two coins hitting the coins at the bottom of the box. He notices that there are two small coins that together are equivalent to a penny. And he knows That's the last bit of money that this woman has. 
Deuteronomy 27, 19 says, Cursed is he who distorts justice for widows and orphans. She drops her last two coins into the box. And out of her poverty, gives everything. Jesus' voice could sound like an uplifting voice. So he calls his disciples to him and they gather around and he says, Hey, did you notice? Did you see that poor widow woman? I'm telling you right now that even though she only put one penny into the box, she gave more out of her abject poverty than, than all of the rich people gave combined. So one way of reading that story is that we lift her up as somebody and we should give in that way, right? That we should give everything that we have. Raise your hand if you've done that or if you're ready to do that. I got to put my hand down. So it's, it's an odd thing for me to try to preach that sermon. And it's not that I'm afraid of talking about money. Money captures us. Money sometimes is the thing that we grab onto and trap ourselves with, and we just won't let go of it. And so we're caught in this trap, and if we let go, we actually become more free by letting go of our stuff, right? But when I went back and read through this story several times, I didn't hear Jesus, I didn't see Jesus lifting her up. He never says, this is the way you ought to give. He never lifts her up in a way that is saying like, oh, if you give this way, you're going to be extra blessed in some form or fashion. In fact, listen to the TV preachers. They read it that way. They say, if you give in this way, all of that money will come back to you 10 times, like the blessing will be 10 times. And by the way, give even more because I need a new jet. Because I can't pray around all you people. I need a jet while I'm by myself so I can pray in the sacred silence, which is ridiculous, by the way. Please don't ever, ever give any money to those preachers. So as I was listening to Jesus' voice, I always want to find the gospel. I want to find, I want to find that thing that I was talking about last week, that idea that there's nothing you can do to cause God to love you more. And there's nothing you can do to cause God to love you less. That God loves you. And God loves you. God loves you. And more than that, God likes you for who you are right now. Not who you can become and not who you once were. But God loves you for who you are right now. And God likes you. God wants to be around you. God is happy with you and proud of you. So I'm looking for that in this story. And, and I, I started wondering, like, okay, in context, what's going on? Well, in context, if you read prior to this story, Jesus is kind of attacking the temple and the people who are in charge of the temple and their collusion with the Roman government and the way that they're working against people. And they're actually doing the opposite of being of doing justice for widows and orphans they're actually doing the opposite of it and so he goes through this long critique of which we just heard part he says as he's teaching in the temple imagine he's teaching in the temple there are scribes and pharisees surrounding him and he says watch out for the scribes and pharisees i don't think he's whispering because they like to wear long, long robes as they go out into the marketplace. And I would imagine the guys walking out are like turning around to see who's pointing them out. 
They want to be greeted with honor as they're walking through the market. So they wear these long robes out there. And, and also, while you're at it, pay attention to the people who memorize long prayers just to show off. They want to have the seats of honor in the synagogues. But those people with the long robes and the long prayers are the same people who will steal a widow's home from her. He happens to be sitting close by the treasury box and he's watching people put money into it. Now you know where I'm going. And he notices a widow put everything into the box and they accept it. They accept it. They don't say to her, no, 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 not you. Actually, we're going to help you because you only have one penny. Don't sweat it. We're going to help you out because you're going to have a hard time paying your water bill and your electric bill, and it's starting to get cold. You need to have your gas on. We're, we're going to help you out, and we're going to give to you. We, we appreciate the gift. We really, really do, but we want to help you out. No, they accept it. They literally are robbing a widow of her home. There are two ways. My button keeps coming undone. <laughs> there are two ways of reading this passage. One, Jesus is lifting her up saying, this is how you ought to give. And maybe, maybe that's right. Maybe we should give everything, right? But maybe it's not about money. Maybe it's about the way we live to where we give our lives away, our gifts and our talents and our treasure and the whole thing. And we're giving our life away to other people in service to them. And in the process of doing that, we actually find our life. But then there's the other way of reading it, which is don't do what they're doing. Don't take and take and take to where somebody ends up. I mean, sometimes somehow we support systems that do that, right? And that's sinful. And it's always wrong. And so there are these two ways of reading this passage that most biblical scholars would say, yes, there are these two ways. And you can stick your hand into the trap and grab onto one and fight for that view. And that's what we do with the Bible a lot. We heard some preacher somewhere at some time or some Sunday school teacher or some evangelist or we read some biblical scholar or we listened to some podcast or we had a conversation with our parents or whatever it happens to be and we stick our hands into the trap and we grab onto that one understanding and we are trapped. And Jesus came and every time you see Jesus interpreting the Hebrew Bible, he's reinterpreting it. You'll hear things like this as you read through the Gospels, which are where you hear Jesus talking. He'll say things like, you have heard it said before, but I say to you, you have heard it said before, an eye for an eye. We like that one. That one's really good, by the way. That guy did that thing to me. I'm going to get him back. I cannot believe she said that. I'm going to say something even more hurtful. That's how marriages fall apart. Because we believe eye for an eye. And a tooth for a tooth. You've heard it said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, anybody know what comes next? 
Turn the other cheek. Turn the other cheek. That one's not very fun. In ancient times, you could slap somebody who was that you were above in status with the back of your left hand. Because you know what you did with your right hand? Gross things. But your left hand was usually cleaner, and the outside of your left hand was the cleanest. And so if you were above someone in status, and they did something to offend you, you could slap them across the face with the backside of your left hand. So imagine that I'm standing here, and I slap somebody across their face with the backside of my left hand. Which side of their face am I hitting? I'll be hitting the left side of their face. Now if I turn the other cheek so that they can hit that one also, they can't hit me. Because they're not supposed to hit me with their right hand, and they're definitely not supposed to hit me with the open side of their right hand. So if I turn the other cheek, I'm stopping the violence right then and there, or they commit more violence, and I can use that against them. Jesus isn't saying, be a floor mat for someone. Jesus is saying, use the rules in your favor. If the rules are unjust, use them in your favor. You have this widow. She has this understanding that she has to give everything away to the treasury. She has to put money in the treasury or else she's not going to have right favor with God. That's what they were teaching. And then you have this idea of, no, 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 that's not how this works. She's She's giving away everything, and they need to fight against that. And I want to stand in the middle somewhere and say, yeah, they're probably both right. Like, we should give of our whole entire life, but at the same time, we should also not take from somebody who's giving out of their abject poverty. Stand in the middle, because here's where the gospel is. I looked and looked and tried to find it, and this is the only place I could find the gospel in that text. Jesus sees you. Jesus notices you. It's more than notice. He sees you and looks deeply at what's going on in your life and cares. Because I have a really strong suspicion that Peter and James and John and Luke and Matthew and Judas and all Jesus' friends were hanging out looking and like, yeah, there goes another one of the long robe guys. Oh, look how they're going out there to get noticed. That guy, did you see him at the synagogue the other day? They're pointing it all out, right? They're noticing everybody and they're right there with Jesus. They're upset. They're missing the point altogether that those are created human beings also, that they are the beloved of God and their hearts aren't breaking for them. They're angry and they're setting themselves up against them. Do you see the difference? And they miss it. They don't see her. But Jesus does. And he calls them to him and he says, do you see that poor widow woman? We've got to help her. We have to do something. This whole month, I'm going to be, I'm going to be talking to you about evangelism. You didn't know that's what I talked to you about last week because I'm sneaky. <laughs> But I was talking to you about evangelism. I was saying, this is the gospel. 
This is the good news of Jesus Christ, that you are a beloved child of God and there's nothing you can do about it. You are set free. You're set free. You are set free. It is for freedom that we were set free. I was preaching straight up the gospel to you last week so that you might have that in your heart as you walk out into the world to share it with other people, bearers of good news, evangelists. But there's another thing that has to happen. Another way of doing evangelism is you see people. You see them. You're at work. You're talking with a coworker. He's having a really hard time. You know his marriage is falling apart, and you don't know how to do anything, but you can see him. You can talk to him. You can offer words of comfort. You see her. She comes in, and she's got a bruise on her cheek. And and she's not going to say, yeah, my husband hit me. But you see her, and you don't know exactly what happened. You kind of just almost have to take her word for it, but you see her. And you put an arm around her, and you hug her, and you let her know that you see and that you care. And it's not just that you see and you care, but the reason you see and you care is that there's nothing she can do to cause God to love her more, and there's nothing she can do to cause God to love her less. She is loved, and she is liked by God. Jesus sees and cares. And Jesus cared so much that he gave his whole life. See how it all ties together. But we can't keep our fists clenched around one way of seeing things. Last week I heard someone say, we are not defined by who or he actually said, we are not defined by our enemies. We are not defined by who it is that we think we are against. We talked about how a hundred years ago, there was this giant peace that happened. Well, 80 years ago, this past week, was Kristallnacht. Anybody know what that is? The night of the broken glass. It's the night that Nazis decided they were going to break glass and start committing acts of atrocious acts against our neighbors. When we define ourselves by who it is that we are against, we will see them. We will see them but we won't offer hope and peace and love to them. We're being told who we should be against and how we should define ourselves. Sisters and brothers, that is not who we are. We are those who are not defined by our enemies and who we're against. We are defined by who tells us to love all and to welcome all, and to put an arm around all. And more than that, we are defined by this person, this great teacher, this human, this savior, this God, who came to us to show us what it looks like to live out an ethic of justice and peace to the point that it actually changes the world and saves us. And he saw the poor widow and cared. May we go and do likewise.
In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit.